or in. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Without repentance, your name could be blotted out of the book of life. According to the Jewish belief concerning Yom Kippur, which begins this evening, the highest holy day of the Jewish calendar. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at the implications of that and discuss the implications for you and for me here, perhaps on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so today on Viewpoint, this matter of Yom Kippur that begins this evening at sundown is on the mind and heart of most Jewish people, certainly in Israel and many, if not most, here in America today. In fact, there is no day in the Jewish calendar that draws more people to the synagogue than Yom Kippur. Why is that? Well, because it's solemn. It's the most solemn day of the year for the people of Israel. In fact, the Bible says that it's a day in which you shall afflict your souls, a day devoted to fasting and repenting of one's sins that have occurred during the past year. In fact, Yom Kippur was not the was not the only fast within Judaism, but it was the only fast actually mandated by Scripture. And the Israelite who failed to devote himself to fasting and repentance on Yom Kippur was to be cut off from his people. So not only was he to be cut off from his people in time, but he was to be cut off from the book of life forever. The only hope was repentance. And that's why God, in his mercy and by his grace, set up a calendar for Israel that began a period of, well, they call them days of awe. That's not a, a scriptural term, but it is a an accurate term that describes the period of time from Yom Teruah, the blowing of trumpets, the fifth feast of the Lord, to Yom Kippur, the sixth feast of the Lord, Moedim, that is set forth in Leviticus chapter 23. That's where you'll find all seven of the feasts listed and then beginning with the Sabbath. Yom Kippur, well, what does it actually mean? It actually means the Day of Atonement. That would be the English equivalent for Yom Kippur. But the word atonement, it's kind of a a vague term. Uh, We don't use it in American parlance much, and uh, it doesn't seem to shed any real light on the meaning of the holiday. So, Kippur is from the Hebrew word kafar, meaning to cover. So the word atonement simply means a covering. So it was on Yom Kippur that an atonement or covering was made for the previous year's sins. The atonement 
or covering consisted of a blood sacrifice of an innocent animal because God had said the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement or covering for your sins for it is the blood that makes atonement or covering for your soul. So we find in the New Testament, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So, is Yom Kippur uh, not just an Old Testament concept, but a New Testament concept? And what, is, what are the implications of Yom Kippur for Gentiles? For Gentiles under a new covenant. We'll talk about that here on Viewpoint today. I'm so glad, again, that you've joined us. This conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction talk that transforms. As we indicated, there are seven Moedim, or appointed times, or feasts of the Lord, set forth in Leviticus chapter 23. And the first four of those feasts have already been prophetically fulfilled. All four have been prophetically fulfilled. But there are three remaining feasts, beginning with the blowing of trumpets, then followed by Yom Kippur, and finally followed by Sukkot, which refers to the presence of the Messiah. Those have not been fulfilled. And so we're in a hiatus period now. The Jewish people know that we are in a hiatus period, but they don't fully comprehend it. Because they're not looking for a Messiah, a divine Messiah. They're looking for a man like Moses. Somebody that will stretch his rod out over the world and bring peace on earth. We know, as the scripture says, that Yeshua, Jesus, when he was born, was announced to bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That was the angel's presentation to the shepherds there on the hillside uh, of Israel. But all of that is still rejected by the majority of Jewish people today. But that doesn't mean that Yom Kippur is not solemn. It's very solemn. In fact, very solemn for the priesthood of Israel, because on that day, and only that day, was the high priest permitted to enter the Holy of Holies in the temple. In other words, to stand before the presence of God's glory. And he was required to wear special holy garments woven from white linen instead of his normal garments. So, guess what? The Jewish people wear white linen, or white white clothes anyway, on Yom Kippur. It's a symbol of purity. It's a symbol of repentance. Repentance from what and repentance to what? That's always the big question. And today, the word repentance is deemed to be an almost four-letter word for many people. Repentance? That means I have to own up that I did something wrong, that I'm that I'm not right before God, and I'm right be, not right before other people. No, I'm a pretty good person. I don't need to repent. Mm. That's a pretty, that, that's chutzpah, spiritual chutzpah, arrogance to uh, say that you don't need to repent because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody, Jew and Gentile. Prince, potentate, 
priest, pastor, pauper, and all people. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So for the Jewish people, Yom Kippur was the day that would bring them all together. If no other day did, that would that day would because of the severity of what would happen if they did not. If they did not show up and if they did not truly repent from the heart. Why the severity? Well, because they believed, were convinced that if they did not show up and they did not repent, their name may very well be blotted out of the book of life. Oh, maybe that's a novel idea for you. Did you know that theme also continues to the New Testament? Surprise, we'll be back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. holy day of the Jewish year begins this evening and continues on for one day to the next day at evening time. It is one day, one day of opportunity, one day of atonement for sin until next year. And herein lies the problem, or one of the problems, with understanding concerning Yom Kippur. And that is the idea that, well, we come before God and the priest today, or the rabbi, and we confess the sins that are brought to our mind for the past year. Now we start over again and start the sinning process again. But we have to wait till the next year in order to repent according to the pattern of Yom Kippur. But is that God's ultimate pattern, or was that just an ultimate pattern? Was that God's true and complete pattern, or was it merely a, shall we say, a standing in the gap for something far more important, and that is continual repentance? Apparently, the psalmist David did not think that he had to wait until Yom Kippur to repent. In fact, the psalmist David actually talked about the fear of having his name blotted out of the book of life. Moses, the great deliverer, said to God, why don't you just blot out my name from your book and keep the people in there because God was threatening to destroy Israel because of their rebellion and failure to repent. This concept of having the name blotted out follows through the Bible, from the Torah all the way through to the book of Revelation. Jesus put it another way 
in Matthew chapter 7. He said, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to inherit the kingdom. Only those who do the will of my Father. Interesting. Basically what he was saying is, just because a person claims to be a Christian, claims to be a follower of the way, doesn't mean he's going to enter the kingdom. In other words, he may think that his name is in the book of life, but not necessarily. Now that comes as a novel idea to many. And there would be those out there who will probably argue with that, especially our eternal security friends, but they have a hard time justifying and explaining all of these other passages from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. So where does that leave us as Gentile followers of Christ? Obviously, we want to talk about that. We, we don't want to be in a continual hiatus. We want to have a certain amount of conviction and, shall we say, security in our faith. And we can. If, if we walk in the light as Christ is in the light and we repent when the Holy Spirit brings our sin to our mind and heart. So repentance for a true follower of Jesus Christ is virtually an every day and every minute kind of a thing. Not that we're continually tormented that our book name isn't going to be written in the book of life, but rather our love for the Lord is such and our relationship with him that we trust him because he said, if you will confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That is all unrighteousness at that time. Which brings up another issue that people discuss. Well, did the, did the death and resurrection of Christ save all humanity? No. But it, what it did was give the opportunity for all humanity to be saved. Did the death and resurrection of Christ, then if you receive Christ, obviate all of your sin forever? No, the blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient, was sufficient, but it still requires that we acknowledge our sin and repent so that the blood of Jesus Christ becomes continually sufficient to cleanse us from all sin. This is a lifestyle that God has called us to. It's not a decision-making lifestyle where you just make a decision and then you're out of here. Go on and do your thing. That's not Christianity. That's not relationship with Christ. It just isn't. You may want to believe that, but it's not consistent with the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Now, we get back now to further 
look at this matter of Yom Kippur. You probably have heard the term scapegoat. It's used in cultural expressions that somebody's a scapegoat. In fact, frequently, the Jewish people have been used as scapegoats throughout history. Right now, in Russia, because things aren't going so well for Vladimir Putin, the media there is beginning to, shall we say, throw the blame to some degree upon the Jewish people, making them a scapegoat for whatever negative things are going on there in Russia. You see, Mr. Hitler, Adolf Hitler, made the Jews a scapegoat. There are many today who are saying all the problems in the world that are happening are due to the Jewish people. Another report that just came through is that the Jewish people are controlling all the money and the finances of the world. In other words, making the Jewish people a scapegoat if there are any economic downturns. So the term scapegoat actually came from the Bible talking about Yom Kippur. Atonement. You see, there were two goats. The high priest was escorted by two priests to the eastern side of the altar, and on his right uh, was presented one goat. On his left was another. Two goats stood there, side by side, awaiting the high priest. They faced the temple. And the high priest shook a vessel and randomly took one lot in each hand. He held the lots to the foreheads of the goats and determined the outcome, and he declared them a sin offering to the Lord. The two goats together were viewed as one singular offering. The goat upon which the lot for Azahel fell was identified with a crimson strip of wool tied to one of his horns. And it was then turned around to face the people whose sin would later be placed on its head. That goat was called the scapegoat. It escaped death and was instead driven into the wilderness where it was carrying the sin away from the people. Then the other goat the high priest laid his hands on and confessed the sins of the people And that goat was then led through the eastern gate by a priest more than 10 miles into the wilderness, never to be seen again. So one uh, goat was killed, sacrificed for the blood. The other was then dismissed into the wilderness, uh, much in a symbolic way of saying, so your sin now is separated from you. Go and sin no more. Now, there's a problem. The problem is that Yom Kippur, in its proper presentation and biblical requirements, required a temple. 
because the Bible made it very clear that no sacrifices were to be made without the temple. There had to be the temple. Well, guess what? There is no temple today and has not been one since 70 A.D. So, what to do? You see, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So the, here's something that people just don't quite get. In fact, I, I've actually had conversations with pastors who don't quite get this. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. Therefore, since the shedding of the blood of the sacrifices could only be accomplished with the temple. When there is no temple, there is no shedding of blood, according to the scriptures, therefore there is no sacrifice for sin, no atonement. Now perhaps you can understand why the growing and deep yearning among Orthodox Jews for the third temple to be built. They're prepared to make the sacrifices. They cannot do it. There is no, shall we put, salvation for them without the temple. They don't have a concept of salvation the way we do as Christians. But they do have the concept of Yom Kippur, the uh, sacrifice of the animals, knowing that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But they have no temple. So they're cut off. Literally cut off from forgiveness of sin. According to the mandate of Scripture, unless, listen, unless they receive Yeshua as Messiah, whose blood cleanses them from all sin. Now here's an interesting thing. At the time of Jesus' crucifixion, you'll remember that in the trial with Pontius Pilate, Pilate asked the Jewish leaders, the rabbis, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of Israel, shall I crucify your king? They said, we have no king but Caesar. Then they also said, his blood be upon us and our children. I doubt they had any real comprehension of what they were really saying. Indeed, the blood of Christ would be the only hope for Israel and her salvation. And there will come a time in the end of the age shortly to come, as prophesied by Zechariah, that they, or a remnant of Jewish people, will look upon him, that is Yeshua, Jesus, whom they have pierced, will weep for him as for their only son in terrible, grievous repentance. Thus, 
All Israel will be saved. All what? All those who repent. Not every Jew who ever lived, only those who repent. Only those who receive Yeshua as the blood of Yeshua, not just for a covering for their sin, but for the cleansing of their sin. Now, so what do the Jewish people do when they have no temple? Is there any alternative for them? Any hope? We'll talk about that when we get back. And it will help us to understand an even bigger problem now that confronts Jew and, yes, even the understanding of Gentiles. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. The coming of Yeshua... As Messiah, his second coming is the only hope for Israel. The only hope for the Jewish people, whether they be priest or rabbi, it doesn't matter. He is their only hope. But he's also your only hope if you're a Gentile. He's your only hope if you are a Gentile professing to uh, be one of his followers. Because some, many, are going to fall away. So just as two-thirds of all Jewish people in the end times here, the Bible says, are going to lose their lives, and only a third will be brought through out of the fire. Even so, a massive number of Gentiles, including professing Christians, are going to fall away. In other words, they'll lose their spiritual life. They'll claim, perhaps, to be a follower, but in reality, prove otherwise. The mark of the beast will likely sift out many. But we're not here to talk about that here today. We're here to talk about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. You see, the Jewish people had a covering. Atonement meant covering for sin. It did not take care of their sin. It just gave a covering for their sin. 
You remember back in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned. And then they went and hid themselves, didn't they? And they made a covering for themselves of what? Fig leaves. And so we use that term fig leaves even in common conversation to describe a situation in which people try to hide from something. But God wasn't satisfied with their fig leaves. You know what he did? He made covering for them of animal skins. Because of their sin. And in order for him to do that, there had to be shedding of blood for them to get atonement for their sin, a covering for their sin. So Yom Kippur, in its, it goes all the way back, woven into the scripture right there in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 3, rather. We're tying the Bible together so that we can really understand the dynamics, the fullness of it. It's not just information, friends. It's understanding the heart and soul of what God has been doing, is trying to do today, and will do. So the question before the break was, what are the Jewish people doing to try to substitute for the temple sacrifice, which alone could provide atonement. Now, before we answer that question, I want to just uh, let you know that if you want to find out a lot more about what the dynamics are in our world today concerning people and some kind of sought Messiah, you're going to want to get a copy of my latest book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. It deals with issues beyond anything you can possibly imagine. And it unveils. It unveils so much of what's taking place that actually is a veil over the peoples of this planet including many professing Christians who are going to succumb to the deception and seduction that's occurring under this veil. $22 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, Two three two five five. Writing a check at five dollars for postage and handling, and we'll put Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages in your hands. All right. The question on the table then: What do the Jewish people do? What have they done to, shall we say, self-justify without the atonement required by animal sacrifices? done in the temple. Well, here it is. As uh, Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai was coming forth from Jerusalem, 
Rabbi Joshua followed after him and beheld the temple in ruins. He said, Woe unto us! Rabbi Joshua cried, that this, the place where the iniquities of Israel were atoned for, is laid waste. Rabbi Yohanan responded and said, Don't be grieved. We have another atonement as effective as this. And what is it? It's acts of loving kindness, he said. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Well, it's true. God desired mercy and not sacrifice. Ultimately, but he required the sacrifice because without the sacrifice, there was no remission of sin. So what happened? Rabbi Yohanan, actually, based upon the words of that one rabbi, Israel virtually abandoned atonement through the blood and sought it instead through mitzvah, or good works. Now, that is manifested today in a phrase, a word, called tikkun olam, which means the healing or redemption or repair of the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with that term. I had a lengthy discussion with my daughter, uh, who is also my uh, extremely valued right-hand assistant in this ministry. And she said, Dad, Tikkun Olam goes way, way back. It's about the Jewish people being given by God the responsibility to be his representatives in the world. And therefore, to, shall we say, repair the world. But what has happened is a complete distortion of that, so that in the past virtually 2,000 years, and increasingly in our modern times, Tikkun Olam has come more to mean salvation through good works. Doing good works, mitzvah. In other words, all you have to do, all a Jewish person has to do, they don't need the sacrifice anymore, which basically obviates most of the concept of repentance, except on Yom Kippur. And all you do, you just do good works, and you try to find more and more ways to do good works. And those good works take all kinds of forms, It's one of the main reasons why the Jewish people, 75% of them, always vote Democratic. Why is that? Because they perceive, rightly or wrongly, that the Democrat Party historically was interested in doing good works, whether or not they actually did them or not. That's why they vote that way. At least one of the reasons. So... We're helping to understand the bigger picture here. So when good works then become the foundation for your life and your faith, you become, in essence, your own Messiah. 
You're saving yourself. Are you beginning to get the picture? So in reality, except for a few Jewish people today, they're relying upon a false kind of redemption or salvation that has no concept for future eternity and has everything to do with fixing the world today. And you are the fixer. Therefore, every Jew embracing the current view of Tikkun Olam becomes, in essence, their own Messiah. Are you listening? So you can believe in God. You can believe in one God. But even the devil believes and trembles. So just believing in God doesn't count. Never has and never will. That may seem strange. But it is true. Now, Yom Kippur actually prophetically points to Messiah's future work with the nation of Israel. And those events are going to occur in the end days at Messiah's coming to establish his throne. Will there be a rebuilt temple? Oh, I do believe there will be. Because without the temple, there is no shedding of blood for sacrifices, for sin. No atonement. And if you've rejected Yeshua as Messiah, that's your only hope as a Jew. That's their conviction. They must have a temple. And somebody's going to come along. Some politician or else is going to come along and facilitate the rebuilding of the temple. And they will think this must be the Messiah. Are you beginning to get the picture? Be right back after this. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Today begins Yom Kippur at sundown, continues for one day. It is the highest holy day of the Jewish calendar and year, and the majority of Jewish people make their way to the synagogue purportedly for repentance so that their name will not be blotted out of God's book. 
but will be retained in his book for the next year. So it's an annual kind of repentance. But God is looking for a relationship. David didn't wait around for Yom Kippur. When he sinned in the sin against Bathsheba and in the vicarious murder of her husband Uriah, uh, Nathan the prophet confronted him, said, you're the man. You are the one, David, who has sinned here. And David was torn up inside. In other words, the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon David and caused his inner being to wrench because he realized he was a God-fearing man and he realized that he had massively attacked the very Spirit of God who gave us life and he was guilty as sin. So what did he do? He didn't wait for Yom Kippur. He went before the Lord and cried out, Cleanse me, O God. I have sinned. He didn't play around. He said, I have sinned. I've dishonored your name. I betrayed my commitment to you. And I'm broken up over it. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, he cried out. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Oh, David believed that a person could be cast away from God's presence. In other words, his name could be blotted out if he did not repent. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Friends, that is the spirit, of the genuine spirit of Yom Kippur. That is the genuine spirit of a biblical repentance for Jew or Gentile. Just because we do not have to go to a temple and sacrifice the blood of animals for a covering for our sin for a year does not mean that we do not have to come before God in brokenness and contrite of heart. In repentance. In fact, the more we claim to be followers of Yeshua or Jesus, the more we should be repenting. Maybe even every day. Maybe several times a day. When you realize by the Spirit of God, He convicts you of sin. He shows you, son, daughter, you realize what you just did? Do you realize your attitude of pride here? Do you realize what you what you just said? You actually defamed my name when you said this or that or the other. 
How many Christians are defaming the name of the Lord, using his name in vain over and over again in pop culture behavior today? They just take it for granted. My God this, my God that. Oh, yeah, you think that isn't an offense before God? We're taking his name in vain. It's one way we take it in vain. And I'm not going to try to go into a a whole slew of other things to try to pinpoint that. The Holy Spirit can work on your heart in that regard. He'll either do it now or when he shows up and on Judgment Day and you'll be shocked with the offense that is revealed in technicolor before you. These are the days that require us to seriously look at our lives. That's what Yom Kippur is for. There is a sense that whenever we take the Lord's Supper and remember his death and resurrection, we're also supposed to be considering our lives, aren't we? Don't do that too much anymore. Because we have this attitude, I'm okay, you're okay, uh, we're all cool, and we're in church. Doesn't cut it with God. Because he looks on the heart. The heart of the matter is always the heart. That's what God is after. And so when... Jeremiah promised a new covenant. It would be a better covenant. It would provide for the removal of sin instead of merely covering the past year's sins. So, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more or remember against them no more. God doesn't forget. He just doesn't hold us against it. So the new covenant is superior to the old covenant in that it affords true forgiveness and cleansing from sin whereas the Old Covenant only provided an atonement or covering for sin temporarily. So Jesus, the Messiah, is not our atonement. In fact, that word occurs only once in the New Testament. Jesus is our salvation. He took our sin upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So, year after year, the sound of the ram's horn, the trumpet, calls Israel to repentance on Yom Teruah. Then, there are ten days of awe in which the people are given by God's mercy and grace, an opportunity to consider their lives, 
to go before God and ask him to reveal any sin that does beset us. So that the next period of time we can run with patience the race that is set before us. To those who have truly put their trust in Christ, in Yeshua, the Messiah, he says, I will not remember their sin against them anymore. I won't, in other words, I won't hold their sin against them. He wants us to walk in a spirit of repentance. Therefore, repentance is the most hope-filled word in the Bible. It's even more meaningful than the word hope. Because without repentance, there is no hope. Now perhaps we can understand. Let's look at the New Testament very quickly. When John the Baptist, the forerunner, came announcing the coming of Messiah, he said, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he passed the baton to Jesus, Yeshua, as the lamb who would take away the sin of the world, not just cover the sin of the world, but take it away, Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was Jesus' foundational message, believe it or not. When Jesus was prepared to transfer, cast the baton over to his disciples after his death and resurrection, they picked up the same message and said, repent and believe the gospel. That times of refreshing may come upon us. The Apostle Paul gave the same message to the Gentiles. And then in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, again, we find the message, repent, right at the end of the book. And six times to the seven churches of Asia, they are called to repent or else. Does that not sound like that is perhaps the overarching theme that ties the whole Bible together? It is. We may not like to hear it because it requires that we come clean. If you want mercy before a court, you cannot continue to claim your innocence in the face of seemingly obvious guilt. You can't do that because the court will not be prone to extend mercy to you. But if you will confess in genuine remorse and repentance, the court may extend mercy. Not necessarily in terms of the, sen of the conviction, but in terms of the sentence that's imposed. This matter of repentance is so big, it actually 
defines the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. And the concept of repentance should define the holiest expression of the Christian church today among Gentiles. Because without it, there is no hope. Using the words of the Apostle John, the beloved disciples, he said this, seeing if you have or whoever has this hope of the second coming of Christ or Messiah in him will purify himself even as Christ is pure. Now, how do we do that? We come clean before God. We confess our sin with particularity. We don't pretend. We don't say, well, Lord, I know I've done something wrong. I've made a few mistakes. That's not confession. That's playing games. God wants us to come absolutely clean before him. He says, look, if you want to come before me, if you want to enter my holy hill, in my presence, you have to come with clean hands and a pure heart. That's what God is calling for us to do. It requires repentance. Today, by the way, is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. No. This is a day for humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you hear his voice today? You might want to get a copy of the book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. $22 on the website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Call us money. Save us. And seriously consider becoming a partner. Do you see how we are seriously preparing the way of the Lord for Israel's final hour? Become part of that, friends. Do it today. Make your generous gift on the website. Write to us. Call us. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.